Thank you for listening to Hope Fellowship Church in Jaffrey, New Hampshire. We hope you enjoy our journey through the book of Acts, exploring the many powerful actions of Jesus Christ as he continues to move and teach us through his apostles by his Holy Spirit, empowering the explosion of the church to expand from Jerusalem to Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth, which is you and me right here and right now, where we move from spectators to participants and join with Paul in preaching the gospel with all boldness and without hindrance. Let's now join Pastor Jordan Moody in our new series, Acts, The Movement Begins. If you would like to learn more about our ministry, please visit hopejaffrey.org. We're jumping into Acts. I am so thankful for Pastor Josh, who preached a fantastic message on the beginning of Acts chapter 8, verses 1 through 25. We looked at that last week. This week we'll be looking at verses 26 through 40. He jumped back into Acts. Remember, we started this series in fall last year. Took a break for Advent and Christmas and Epiphany, and now we're jumping back into Acts. And we went through part one of Acts, which is Acts 1 through 7, chapters 1 through 7. Part two of Acts is this middle section, 8 through 12. And then there's kind of this final section of Acts we'll be looking at as well. And so this whole idea is the gospel is, is come. The Holy Spirit has fallen at Pentecost. And from there, there's this massive crescendo as the gospel is being spread and it is widening throughout the earth. And so we've seen the gospel go to Jerusalem as it falls in Acts 2. Last week, Josh, Josh shared how the gospel and through the Holy Spirit has fallen upon the area of Samaria which we'll talk about how extraordinary that is. The Samaritans were not ones that were accepted in. They were rejected by the Jews. And so this idea of the gospel going to the Samaritans and the region of Judea around Samaria, now the gospel today is going to be going to Africa. So the message today is the gospel goes to Africa uh, through the Ethiopian eunuch. We're going to be looking at that story. And so last week we just saw how that message came about, how the gospel went uh, we looked at that person of Simon, the magician, who's a very curious figure. Simon the sorcerer throughout church history is mentioned in a couple different places. In fact, the term simony, trying to purchase your faith or purchase with money the things of God, uh, that term has been developed from Simon the sorcerer here, Simon the magician. And so what we're doing today is looking at Acts chapter 8, verse 26. And really Acts is about the growth of the church, the expansion of the gospel that eventually reaches us here today to where we feel motivated now today to go to Guatemala and bring it just like these uh, people had done from our, from our own church here. So Acts chapter 8, verse 26. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went, and there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians. Candace, I'm told, is kind of a, a term, a, a name even possibly for a queen of Ethiopia, almost like a pharaoh of Egypt. There's like a Candace of Ethiopia. Anyways, she was, uh, he, this man was in charge of all her treasure, so he was very important. He had come to Jerusalem to worship, so he was a follower of this Jewish faith of Yahweh. Verse 28, and was returning, he seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. So he had this nice scroll open, and he's reading it. Verse 29, and the spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, 
Do you understand what you're reading? We'll get to that question later. Some of you feel like that every time you open your Bible. <laughs> Verse 31, and he said, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of scripture that he was reading was this. This is from Isaiah 53, actually a famous passage that we read around Easter and Good Friday time. Uh, but it's Isaiah 53, he says this, like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter. Like a lamb before its shearer is silent, he opens not his mouth. In fact, we sang about that. I just thought of that to myself. We sang about that in the song Sunday's Coming today. Verse 33, in his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation for his life is taken away from the earth? Verse 34 says, and the eunuch said to Philip, about whom I ask, does the prophet say this about himself or someone else? Meaning, who is this talking about? Is it talking about the prophet Isaiah or is it talking about some other guy? He's asking a question. Verse 35. And Philip opened his mouth. I love this. He says, and beginning with this scripture in Isaiah 53, he told him the good news about Jesus. The whole good news about Jesus. He shared with him the gospel. Verse 36. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, see, here's water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop. And they both went down in the water, Philip, the eunuch, uh, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him in the water. And when they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord carried Philip away. Very curious verse. We'll talk about that. And the eunuch saw him no more and went on his way rejoicing. And Philip himself came to the Azotus, and he, as he passed through he, uh, through, he preached the gospel to all the towns of, and came eventually to Caesarea. That means he traveled up the coast, and he preached the gospel in the regions of Judea. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for this passage. We thank you for all the message that has been shared with us today through song, through prayer, through devotion. Lord, we thank you for this time that we have together. God, I pray that this word would speak to us, God, as it would not be information transferral, uh, but Lord, that it would be a spiritual transformation, that we would move from this place, not physically, but also we would be spiritually moved by what your word says to us today. God, I pray that you'd give me clarity of speech, clarity of mind as I seek to dispense what you would have for this church. We thank you for it in Jesus' name, amen. Do you, do you believe in divine appointments? Do you believe that there are times in your life where <laughs> you're going about your life and God seems to appoint someone for you to interact with? He kind of puts them along the timeline of your life. Perhaps it might view it as kind of an interruption to your schedule, you know? You know, the, the, the fact that there, our schedules are very scheduled out. I got to go from here to here to here and do this and that. And there seems to be what we would call interruptions to our lives, you know. When maybe it's perhaps the Spirit putting something in our lives. Or, or perhaps I could take the opposite idea that, you know, maybe, maybe, life, maybe life is just chance. Maybe everything just kind of happens, you know. It's just random. Um... You know, maybe the whole world has occurred in some just kind of random explosion. We are simply just a, a bunch of atoms and particles bound together. There's really no reason or purpose or meaning to anything in life. We're just lucky to get a few good years, 
and see you later, you know? <laughs> or, or maybe the, the, the message we see from the Word of God is, is, a, is a life full of purpose and reason. There's a, there's a spiritual weight to our souls and lives. There's a spirit that binds us to God above, and there is a sovereign creator. And in that sovereign creator, he has the ability to divinely appoint certain places. And I would say, as we looked at a few weeks ago in the epiphanies, that William Wordsworth phrase, I don't know if it stuck with you, different spots of time, different epiphany moments where you come to a realization of something perhaps for yourself. But in particular to this passage, perhaps maybe God put you in a place or in a space of time where someone else interrupted your normal life and influenced you in such a way that it changed the course and the direction of where you were headed. You had in your mind this pathway that you were going to take, and God interrupted that, right? perhaps in a good way or bad way, but what we know is that pathway we were headed on was interrupted. Perhaps it was a divine appointment. Oftentimes, those moments, we don't even really know about until much later when we look back and you're like, wow, if, if that had not happened, I don't know where I would be today. Maybe you're thinking of that. Maybe there's someone in your life where you can think of that person's name right now and you said, if it hadn't have been for that person, I don't know if I'd be here today. <laughs> I mean, I might even ask you that question. Why are you here today? <laughs> You're like, do you not want me to be here, Pastor? It's like, no, I do want you to be here. But I think it's interesting when we look back on the timelines of our life and we consider for a moment the people who have influenced us have changed the way we think about life, perhaps changed boldly the way we think about God in the first place. I know some of you that I've talked with over the past year or two where God wasn't even on your mind. <laughs> the very aspect of you coming to church on a snowy day like today was not on your radar. And yet here you are. <laughs> You're kind of doing a very strange thing, in fact, in modern world today. You would get up on a Sunday morning and gather with other people to worship a God above. That seems so not modern. And yet what we find is that God has a way of working out time and space in our very lives. Some people use this phrase. I heard it used the other day. It was a God thing. Have you heard that, right? In fact, some of you are nodding. You know, they, they literally share a story. I'll tell you what. It was a God thing. I just, I can't explain it. I was here. I didn't intend to go in there. And then all of a sudden, boom, right? I can think of this last few months. There was a God thing, a divinely appointed, maybe not a person in physical, but I can think of getting in the mail a card or two. And that moment in time was a God thing. We had been praying about a need that we had or a situation, and God answers a prayer in this divinely appointed way that I can't explain except for the fact that there is a God above that cares about us, that wants to have a relationship with you, and he is going to use you to also do that for someone else, that he's going to use you to be a divinely appointed interruption in someone else's life. <laughs> 
that he might use you to be a Philip today, to interrupt someone else's timeline and come alongside them and tell them about the God above and tell them about the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And perhaps he might use them to, you to, to disciple them and train them and lead them along life's way. You see, I think it's important that God interrupts our lives more times. And yet, I also wonder, you might say, of course, I believe in those things, Jordan. I'm a Christian and I'm going to church. But do you live that way? I think sometimes, I think sometimes we live, I I had it in my notes, I think. I think sometimes we, we live like life, we live a very loud life. Your life is so loud that you can't remember the last time you heard the Spirit speak to your heart. You're so busy. Life is so loud. I'm not just talking about all the toddlers and kids running around, okay? I know my life can be very loud as well. We're so busy with everything else that we're not sensitive to the Spirit's prodding and pushing and pulling. Hey, Stop your thing, what you're doing right now, and you need to go over and talk to that person. Why would I do that? (laughs) Sometimes the Spirit pushes us, nudges us. Sometimes when we don't listen enough, the Spirit hits you over the head, right? Knocks you on your feet, gets you to pay attention, right? But we hope that we would be sensitive to listen to it ahead of time. And and that's my point. I I love this quote, Ian Bounds. I've said this quote many different times, that the, the church... Is always looking for better methods, but God is looking for better men and women. Right? We're always looking for better organizations and all this stuff, not that any of that's wrong, but I think God is often just wanting not to work through Jordan or the elders. He wants to work through you. He wants to move you to change someone else's life in this community, and he's going to put you in someone's path this week. And you have the choice to interrupt their path with the message and the love of Jesus, or you have the opportunity to avoid it and suppress, or as we would say, kind of silencing that spiritual movement in our lives. So I just want us to begin with that, because if you read Acts 8 with me a minute ago, you might have picked up on the intensity of the Spirit's speaking, moving, and direction in this passage. In fact, if you read through the whole book of Acts, the Spirit is like this background voice and background guide, the Spirit of Jesus. For Jesus has said, I'm not leaving you alone, leaving you the Holy Spirit who will speak on my behalf. So the Spirit's whole role is to speak on the behalf of Jesus to help that become true in our lives and give us the empowering we need to speak Jesus to other people. And so what I want to do is just kind of look through that passage, just think through at the very beginning, verse 25, an angel or a messenger from the Lord said to, to Philip, this is verse 26, as they've been going around preaching, the, the spirit had just gone to the Samaritans. Now, very specifically, there is a divine interruption to Philip's life in an extraordinary way. I will admit that. This passage is actually one of the most extraordinary in all of the New Testament. But in verse 8, it says, An angel of the Lord interrupts Philip's path and says, Hey, get up, go toward the south to the road that leads from Jerusalem to Gaza. The Gaza, 
the Gaza Strip, all of the fighting that's going on with Hamas and all of that right now, that right now is the location we're talking about. He's headed to that region towards the Mediterranean. And so he says, go. The Spirit speaks to him later on in verse 29. The Spirit said to Philip, literally says to him, hey, go over and join. So an angel, and now the Spirit is speaking to him. And then the Spirit prompts him in some ways here to speak and to share the gospel with this eunuch, this Ethiopian. And then at verse, what is it, 39, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away. I don't know how to explain it except for the fact that the Spirit seems to be all about teleportation here, okay? I don't know how else to, I was almost trying to find, how do I avoid this idea? It's, you can't, the, the word says snatched, the, the Greek, it, it could be carried, snatched, carried him away, dropped him in another city that's like 30 to 40 miles away. The Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away. There's really no other way to look at it. It's extraordinary. There's real spiritual amazingness going on here. It's amazing. And yet what I also find so fascinating with this is that Philip's just openness and sensitivity to the Spirit's leading. He is sensitive to listening to the Spirit's voice. And he hears and he moves and he acts and he obeys and he shares and he preaches. There's something simple about Philip (laughs) that I find very encouraging for all of us. I've shared this before, but... Um, there was a trend that I saw online the other a few months ago, but it was called. Uh, it was on TikTok, then it was on Instagram, and it was going viral. And it's it's called uh, silent walking. Have you heard of this? Okay, I don't know if I shared this with you before. It's called silent walking because it's kind of a novel concept to literally leave leave your phone behind and go for a walk with no noise. Some of you are like, I do that all the time. The point is this was a viral trend among Gen Z and millennial people like myself who would never leave anywhere without some technological advice or headphones in our ears listening to something or listening to music. And there's this whole trend this person started. It was like, hey, guys, I came up with this new idea. You can go outside. You can leave your headphones behind and, dare I say it, your phone. And you can go for a walk of silence. And she does this whole video about, like, I, I heard birds. I saw trees. I saw things that I never thought I'd see. Right? And it's so funny to us because it's just like, that is ridiculous. But the whole point of this is that sometimes we live spiritually like the very opposite of that. We're always doing, reading, adding, doing. We're never listening to what the Spirit might actually be telling us to do. <laughs> We're so busy telling others, teaching others, reading, taking in, but we... Our lives are too loud. Perhaps it's not even to do with spiritual things. It's just too loud. We can't hear the the still, small voice, you might say. And so what's beautiful about this passage is Philip takes that gospel, and he listens, and the Spirit directs him, just like he'll do in your life as well. But what we see is a clear direction. Chapter 8, verse 1. If you guys look at that, you could with me. Chapter 8 of Acts, verse 1. It says, And Saul approved of his execution. This is speaking of Stephen. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Josh preached on this last week. There was a great scattering. You could call the diaspora. There was persecution and hardship. And so, boom, there was a scattering outside of that. Like a bomb had gone off, and the shrapnel of people go all outwardly, spreading out. Because this was his design from the beginning. Look at Acts chapter 1, verse 8. 
Acts chapter 1, verse 8 is the key verse for the whole book of Acts. And in fact, one of the key verses for our entire mission's emphasis here at Hope. Acts eight, uh, 1, verse 8. And you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem. That's chapters 1 through 7. And you will be my witnesses in Judea and Samaria. That's chapters 8 through 12 of Acts. And then you will be my witnesses in the ends of the earth. That's chapters 13 through 28 of Acts. That's the outline of the book of Acts right there. Now today, you're getting in chapter 8 both a taste of Samaria and Judea and a taste also of what's to come, the ends of the earth, which is pretty fascinating. It's like a little bit of both. So if you look in chapter 8, we see this global spread of the gospel that goes out from this. And I have a quick little map for you. This is like this first map, this ministry of Philip, and, and really this is the region we're talking about. That yellow line is both Peter and, um, and Philip, and that green line is what we're talking about. Him going, that green line is Philip. And right here at the bottom, I know you probably can't read many of the things, that's okay. But it just gives you a sense of the Dead Sea. And from Jerusalem, Philip leaves and he heads south to Gaza, which is that very bottom little city there. And he heads on that route, that was a Roman road, it was a, it was a commonly traveled area. And he travels on there and he is going to intersect and interrupt the timeline of this Ethiopian eunuch. As the Ethiopian eunuch had just been in Jerusalem and is traveling to Gaza and would go southern down through Egypt and back down following the Nile back to Ethiopia. And so that's just kind of a little bit of a synopsis. Then eventually afterwards, um, he'll be trans-teleported up to Azotus, and then he'll go all the way up to Caesarea eventually where we will meet up with Philip much later as he's been preaching the gospel along those coastal regions all the way up north. And so that's just a little bit of a mindset of this is the region and what we're talking about, this Judea and Samaria. And yet we see this gospel being distributed to one person in particular. The gospel goes to this person of this Ethiopian eunuch, which highlights again, not just a, a one ethnicity, the Jewish people who have received the gospel, but now from this ethnic group, this Jewish people, the chosen people, from them, and through, because of Jesus Christ, the gospel will explode to the whole world. For fa in fact, back in Genesis 12, when God calls Abraham, he says, I'm gonna bless you and your family. I'm gonna make a great nation out of you so that from you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. When you read all the families of the earth, that means your family out here in the boonies of New Hampshire. Isn't that kind of cool? All the earth will be blessed because of you. So it's this gospel goes to Africa. It's this gospel goes to Africa. In fact, it's fascinating because the gospel actually heads into sub-Saharan Africa long before it ever makes its way into Western Europe. A lot of times today, you'll hear people talk about how Christianity is this white man's religion, it is this kind of Western thing, and it's this outdated form of just this elitist kind of way of speaking about it, and we, we forget that the gospel of Christianity, that the religion of Christianity that we read about in the Bible, heads down deep into sub-Saharan Africa, far before it ever gets to anywhere out here. God's God's design is that Ethiopia would receive it. And, and there is a long-standing history in the, in, the, in the country of Ethiopia and that region. In fact, some of the oldest churches that have ever been discovered are in Ethiopia. One just recently discovered in, they felt like it was built around 300 AD, near the Aksumite kingdom, the city of Aksum, the kingdom of Cush, all these kinds of things. 
And if we think about the world, the way that people saw it back then, it was much different than the map that you're seeing on the screen. This is actually an old map of what I found on, from a photographer, uh, not photographer, cartographer, Strabo is his name. And so if we can get that map up from that older slide there, that would be helpful. It will come. Um, the whole, there it is. Okay. So this is this uh, map from what really, it's really hard to understand, and I, I get that. But the whole idea is this is a map of really the Mediterranean region, the whole world, what the people during the times of Jesus would have seen. This is Strabo. He was a well-traveled geographer, and he wrote and made this famous map that was distributed and has been discovered. And it would have kind of given you a sense of what the entire world looked like at that time. You'll see like different regions of Italy up there and Asia over there and really just northern Africa in parts of it. But their understanding of North America, South America just isn't even there. And so when we are reading here in the New Testament, they're talking about how this really, the, the ancients regarded Ethiopia, the sub-Saharan sub Africa, as parts of the ends of the entire earth. So the gospel, as we're reading it from Luke, here given to uh, Philip to then be dispensed to this Ethiopian eunuch who would take the gospel to the sub-Saharan Africa is literally the ends of the earth in some of their limited mindsets and view and understanding at that time. Because if you didn't know, they didn't have a cell phone with Wi-Fi and they couldn't just open up Google Maps and, you know, pinch out and just see everything that was around them. In fact, it wasn't even until 1492 when Columbus is discovering, right, crushing the ocean blue. He doesn't even make it to North America. He, he makes it really to the Bahamas, I think it is. Vasco da Gama in 1497-1502, he's rounding the southern uh, tip of Africa, headed out into what he thinks is the Orient, or really India, and these places. Ferdinand Magellan, it's not till 1522 when he circumnavigates the earth and finds out the earth isn't flat, right? We all know that. Okay. But the whole point is that's thousand years later. And so their understanding here is, is very limited in the scope of the world. And so when we watch in a few chapters, Paul traveling all around the Mediterranean region in his missionary journeys, it's an extraordinary, extraordinary thing to consider the spread of the gospel and how it's happening. And so the spread comes close, uh, is this b wonderful idea as the gospel is shared from Philip to Ethiopia. He's going to bring it down and he's going to continue to share it. It's the idea that the gospel that we've shared many times is this thing that you, you come in close contact with, and when you're willing to come in close contact with it enough, you'll catch the disease. <laughs> you know, like that's a negative. Well, C.S. Lewis talks about it as a good infection, something that you need to come close to in contact with, and you are catching it. Almost like a, my kids now love to stand in front of the fireplace or the stove at home, our pellet stove, and, and they stand near it to get warm. They catch the warmth of the fireplace in a cold winter time. You, you come to Jesus and you get near to him and you pick up this infection, the good infection, he says. And then C.S. Lewis says this, that Jesus came to this world and became a man in order to spread to other men the kind of life that he has by what I call a good infection. Every Christian is to become a little Christ. And the whole purpose of him becoming a Christian is simply nothing else that we would then go and spread that message from our little Jerusalem to our Judea and Samaria, and then through missions and other ways to the ends of the earth. And so that's the goal. Matthew 28, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. Behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. 
And so this Ethiopian eunuch has come and he has traveled from far. Some people might say it's because of the Queen of Sheba in the Old Testament uh, who visited King Solomon where there would have been faithful believers and followers of Yahweh in Ethiopia that have made the travel many times. Uh, But this eunuch is an interesting concept here that goes on. It could be someone who had a title perhaps in a king's court. They would have been called a eunuch. Uh, He definitely was a high-ranking finance official in the court of Queen of Candace. He was in charge of all her treasury. But likely, even as they're mentioned in the Old Testament and the New, it refers to some sort of uh, emasculation that has occurred. Uh, There's some sort of his inability to procreate, whether that's man-made or not. And so this is a significant representation of someone who is enduring this kind of reproach or in oriental courts that was a common thing that was done among certain people and individuals that were serving kings and queens. And so what's important to recognize from this though is that this Ethiopian was both an outsider but a proselyte, meaning he had converted through this faith, but he was not welcome into the inner courts of the temple for worship. He was... Uh, an outsider in some ways, as I said. He was not accepted in that way to come in. Thereby, according to designation, he was unable to enter the inner courts. It prevented it. And as a eunuch, he would have been barred from the inner courts in the temple worshiping. And so it makes his reading of the book of Isaiah all the more fascinating. Because in fact, in Isaiah 53 is what he's reading. But in three chapters later, in Isaiah 56... It says things like this in Isaiah 56, a fantastic passage where the entire chapter is about salvation and the gospel of Jesus Christ (laughs) going to foreigners. Those who are not in the inner side, but those who are on the outside looking in, that the salvation will go to them as well. It says this in Isaiah 56, verse 4, but thus says the Lord to the eunuchs, Notice it says in verse 4, to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbath, who choose the things that please me and hold to my covenant, he says, I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. To the foreigners, verse 6, who join themselves to the Lord to minister to him, to love the name of the Lord. Everyone who keeps the Sabbath doesn't profane it. I will bring them to my holy mountain. I will make them joyful in the house of prayer. They will be accepted on my altar, for my house shall be called a house of prayer for all the peoples. The Lord God who gathers the outcasts of Israel declares this, and I will gather them to me. This is a whole concept. Is this, I'm gathering the outcasts. I'm going to all nations, not just going to those who can make it to a pilgrimage to Jerusalem or keep the Levitical law. I am going to all people in all places in all regions of the earth. What an extraordinary message to someone who has experienced a certain level of favor from God and yet also experienced this kind of prevention from coming to the inner courts. Just like he asks Philip, hey, what prevents me from being baptized? What will prevent me? And Philip says, nothing. Your faith needs to be displayed here. And so it's, a, it's an amazing passage. It's an amazing message. And I think the whole point of this is this love for all people that God displays a love for all nations, a love for, for gospels, for cultures, for ethnicities, for the whole human race as, is, as it is expressed in different nations. Like we just read, Matthew 28, 19. Go therefore and make na- disciples of all nations. That word nations is ethnos. 
the word ethnicities. In the Christian faith, we have this human race, male and female, and that God expresses that human race through different ethnicities. And God is determined to get that gospel to every ethnicity on the face of this planet. And that is a wonderful thing that we actually even have the opportunity of partnering with, the seed company and others that work to translate the gospel into every language and minor language and tribe and tongue around the globe. We're helping support a project out in a, a far unreached people group that we're doing that even right now. And so Philip, as he goes to this Ethiopian, he shares the gospel, but he also goes to Samaria like he did before. The Samaritans were despised, ethnically impure heretics. They were half Jew, half Gentile. They had intermarried with this conquering Assyrian kingdom. Therefore, they were viewed as traitors. Do you remember the disciples didn't even want to walk through Samaria? They wanted to go way around. And Jesus makes a purposeful statement. As he walks through Samaria, he speaks with the woman at the well, right? He speaks with the woman at the well, and he shares the gospel with her. She's shocked. There's the good Samaritan story. Why? Because he's trying to break down these barriers that these people were separated from. Because God makes it very clear. The gospel goes to Jerusalem in Acts chapter 2 with the Holy Spirit. God goes to Samaria and to the Samaritans. The apostles come and affirm that gospel and the Holy Spirit that comes and fills people like that. Now the gospel is going to go down to Africa as well. As the Spirit comes to Philip, uh, to Philip through, and then to the Ethiopian. And the Ethiopian will take that message of love and grace and mercy and salvation to anyone who would call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And so this is part of what it means to be a Christian today, that we are welcome and we open our arms to anyone who would come. Colossians 3.11 says, here there is neither Greek nor Jew, here there is neither circumcised, uncircumcised, here there's no barbarian or Scythian, kind of like, there's no like elitist caste or lower caste in the sense there's no slave or free, but Christ is all in all. That, that at the foot of the cross and in this place, there's no distinction. God shows no prejudice based on how much money you make, the color of your skin or the language you speak or don't speak. The point is that we are unified in the gospel and what unites us together is his love. Because Colossians 3 verse 12 says, so put on then as chosen ones, holy, beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, bearing with one another. And if one is a complaint against another, forgiving one another. As the Lord has forgiven you, you also must forgive. And above all, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. How is it that we're going to stay together as a church? We have differences and different backgrounds. How are we going to do that? It is the love of Jesus Christ that unites us together, that no one is better or worse than anyone here. But we are all sinners at the foot of the cross, and we have all been saved by grace, not of works, lest anybody should boast. And that is the gospel of the message that we come to him. And so we see this message and this mission that goes to all people. And now I want to kind of bring it down to the application here, because it's so easy, to, uh, it's so easy and so applicable in some ways. Because really the basics of Protestant Christian faith is that every single one of you can take a Bible, read it for yourselves. In fact, some of you have a Bible on your lap right now. You might think that's an obvious and normal thing, but throughout Christian history, that's not always very normal. The fact that you're literate enough, that you have a Bible and a translation enough so that you can have a Bible with you and read it for yourself and then do what with it? You can share it and read it with somebody else. 
that you don't have to come to a priestly caste or someone like me to receive the only instruction from the word of God, but you yourself, the priesthood of all believers, which was really propagated by Martin Luther in some ways, the priesthood of all believers, that you too can have this. And so Philip comes to this guy, Ethiopian. He's reading a scroll, and I love this first question, and maybe some of you resonated with it, right? What, what was the first question he asks him? Verse 30, do, do you understand what you're reading, <laughs> okay? Now, I won't ask for a raise of hands, but how many of you have opened up your Bible just maybe one time in your life? You opened up your Bible, you read a passage, and you think to yourself, I have no idea what I just read, right? Okay, so some of you are already raising your hands, and you're just like, yeah, that's me, all right. That never happens to me, thankfully. No, I'm joking. Okay, so almost every week I'll come into the passage just like, I'm not sure how to share this. I don't fully know what to say to this. And, and yet I think it's through this way that he is admitting, like, do you understand what you are reading? We've all been there. I, I don't want anybody to come into this place and think you have to have a certain degree, a PhD, or be in a certain level of smarts to come into this place, okay? I don't want you to ever think that, oh, that's a dumb question. I kind of want to ask pastor about that, but I feel like it's a dumb question. I'm supposed to know that, right? Have you ever thought that? I'm supposed to know these things. If you don't know it, ask somebody. No one here is like judging you for not being able to find your Bible, uh, that book of the Bible. Have you ever had to do it? You got to go to the front. You got to find the table of contents. You're like, where is that? And the page number. You're like, I got it, right? And by that time, everyone's already there, and you're the only one who has no idea where we are, okay? That's a normal thing as you grow and mature in the faith. But as you become more familiar with it, you will become to understand that maybe perhaps God is leading you to guide someone else, right? I don't have a ton of time here, but there's a passage in Nehemiah, Nehemiah chapter 8, and it talks about how Nehemiah, Ezra and Nehemiah discover the book of the law that's been lost for a long time. They get the book of the law in Nehemiah chapter 8. They, Ezra reads the law before all the people, and this is like one of the first times they've ever heard it because they lost it. They had not been following the worship. He reads the law. The people respond. It says they actually listened, which is also amazing, right? And what happens? It says they, he, he read the book from the law of God clearly. Love that. He gave the sense of it so that the people understood the reading. I'll just say that's what I try to do every week. I know it doesn't always work. I know there are times that I'm like, that didn't land. <laughs> that was not helpful. But I'm hoping that when you come in here, at least we can do one thing as best we know how. We can read the word of God clearly, and then we can help to give the sense of it so that you understand what's going on with honesty and transparency, knowing that I'm trying to do the very same thing as you. And yet, this is not the only place you can do that. You can do that together. You can learn with one another. You can take a Bible home or that devotional that was talking about, and you can read the word of God on your own. If you don't understand something, talk to me, call me, email me, text me, get with someone else who's more mature and has been saved longer than you, and, and talk with them about it. And so that's the whole idea here at Hope Fellowship Church, that you want you to know Christ, want you to grow up in Christ, and I want you to be able to serve others with that knowledge and that understanding. And so what does he say? The next question, he says, well, do you understand what you're reading? The guy's like, eh, not really. Verse 31, he said, well, how can I unless someone guides me? Preachers, teachers, elders, this is part of our responsibility to help guide the church in understanding the revelation of God. Helping my kids with my homework feels like, uh, their homework feels like this sometimes. Where my daughter has homework and she's like, Dad, I, I need help with my math homework. I'm like, go ask your mother, right? You know, 
That's how I feel, right? And so there are times when you don't know how to help. How do you explain the most basic concepts of math? Some of you teachers are incredible at teaching the most simplest things, and that to me is like, I don't even know where to start. You just do it, right? You just add or multiply, right? And so these kinds of things of how do you explain the simplest things of God's word and faith that nobody here should feel like they can't learn and they can't ask because they're supposed to know that. One way you can do that is... Um, through a book that we have in the back, we give out with a lot of the Bibles. It's called One-to-One -One Bible Reading, A Simple Guide for Every Christian. That is a very novel concept, <laughs> meaning it's so novel, it's so simple, we should be doing it more often. It's called One-to-One -one Bible Reading. It means one of you has a Bible, and you get with a friend who has a Bible, and you read the Bible together. <laughs> it's like, what? You know, like, that's it. It's, it's actually one of the most simplest and normal ways of discipleship that has been going on for centuries and centuries. You want to learn the Bible? Come to a small group. Come to a men's Bible study, women's Bible study. We have all those kinds of things. But you want to also just grow and be discipled? Get together with a friend. Get a Bible. And talk with one another how you're going to read together through that Bible. And you're going to get together with coffee. And you're going to discuss how that, what it means to you and some of these things. You're going to just read the Bible together when you get together. It's a novel concept. It's so simple, and yet I think that's one of the best ways that you'll ever find yourself growing. If you don't have somebody to do that with, come talk to us. We'd love to set you up. We can work out some times for an elder or a deacon to get together and read the Bible with you. It's the best way to grow. And so Philip does that. He helps read the Bible with him. He explains the context of Isaiah 53. And what does he do? The answer that he gives is what? He says, verse 35, then Philip opened up his mouth. And beginning with the scripture in Isaiah 53, he told him the good news about Jesus. Because frankly, the Bible is about Jesus Christ. It might feel very complicated and weighty. And there's a lot of stuff maybe you don't understand. But cover to cover, the Bible is talking about one person. It is the person of Jesus Christ. It is a message communicating the gospel of Jesus Christ. And a few weeks ago, we talked about this idea, the two ways to live, a way to communicate the gospel and how the whole gospel message can be summarized in two ways to live, a, a simple gospel statement, a gospel image that we have here that we've talked about in the past. Can we show that, please? And so that whole concept of like, we looked at this a few months ago, maybe a few weeks ago, and we looked at how God is the good ruler and creator our rebellion against God, God's justice. God sent Jesus to die for us. Jesus, the risen ruler and savior. And ultimately, at the end of the day, we have a choice, two ways to live. You can follow your way or God's way. And so this way, we have different ways to be able to communicate this way of the gospel and teaching it and sharing it with others. We have some of those copies of this in the back that you can learn more about this. So there's so many different ways that you can learn and grow on your own. But then I love the way at the very end he responds with this action step. And the whole action step is, yeah, it's one thing to learn, it's one thing to talk, it's one thing to meet together. It's another thing to put into action what it is you believe. And so simply for, for time's sake, that whole point of action is baptism. He says, look, there's water. What prevents me from being baptized? Well, nothing. You've expressed your faith in Jesus. You've expressed your, the understanding of these things. The gospel's been shared with you. You believe it. What a glorious thing to disciple this believer right here and then to walk this believer down to the water and baptize him and allow that Ethiopian eunuch to identify with Christ, not anything else in his life, but he identifies with the kingdom of God and he's welcomed into that kingdom so that he can then 
in conclusion so that he can then, in this manner and in this way, go and share that across the ends of the earth. Because we are called today to go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And yet, if that sounds like a daunting task, if that sounds like overwhelming for you, Jesus encourages us. He says, and behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. God is with you in this. And I pray that you can leave from this place with a renewed sense of purpose, that I want you to be an interruption on someone's timeline this week. Be an interruption where you can go to that person, you can share the, the word or truth with that person. Maybe you need to send a text to somebody and get together with them with coffee because the Spirit's brought them to mind. And you need to share some of these things with them. You need to get together and, hey, hey would you, you want to just read the Bible with me? We'll just start in Mark. We'll read chapter one together. We'll talk about it. Then we can go meet next. Like, it doesn't have to be complicated. It can be very simple. And yet that's what we do here as making disciples, teaching them to observe, because God is with us always. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word and your truth. Would you bless these people today? Would you encourage them with these truths? Would you help encapsulate these things? And, and Lord, help these things live in our hearts so that we can truly understand these things enough to be able to share it with someone else. Lord, I pray that there's somebody here that doesn't know, they don't understand, they don't grasp it all. God, that you would open your, their eyes. Lord, your word says that you will open the eyes of our hearts. Well, you can enlighten those. And so God, I, I pray that you'd in some ways turn the light on in our hearts so that we would understand your truth. And God, that we take action. Help us not to sit and just take it for ourselves. We'd share, we'd give. We might need to take an action step of baptism, whatever that is, Lord. Would you, would you just move and respond? Would your spirit lead this church today? And would you be glorified in all things? In Jesus' name, amen.